0: This is BTS with CTV, behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to the hunt for the cruel and voracious creature terrorizing a public garden in Vancouver. The river otter has been feasting on the large koi found at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden in the middle of the city. How it got here and survived, I don't know. The Wiley River Otter began feasting on the iconic koi fish in the garden's expansive pond, picking them off one by one. We don't have a lot of koi in the garden, and we treat them like our part of the team. (laughs) With six out of 20 fish eaten, the park board moved in and tried to trap the semi-aquatic mammal, With no luck. Stealing bait from traps before slinking freely back to its den. As the cat and mouse game stretched for days, the situation began to draw international media attention, as well as suggestions on how the park board should deal with the ravenous creature. I've heard everything from, why don't you just shoot the otter? why don't you bring more koi here and just keep feeding the otter? And everything in between, there's a team otter, there's a team koi. A week later, with just three of the decorative carp left, the Vancouver Aquarium managed to evacuate them to safety. But it appears the beloved koi,
1: named Madonna, believed to be more than 50 years old, was a victim of the otter's appetite.
0: It's certainly very emotional. We have people on our team uh, that they they express uh, very great deal of sadness this is a special episode of the podcast because sheila scott joins me inside the dr sun yet Sen garden where you spent so many days
1: reporting on otter watch 2018 i think being here sort of is good that you're here because you can kind of get the feeling of this story which was let's call it multifaceted i feel like there were a few (laughs) angles going on there Well, absolutely. And first of all, I was just hoping that for
0: our listeners, you could kind of set the scene because I know they've seen the video and a lot of it was, you know, close-ups of the water looking at the fish. And I mean, you got a couple glimpses of the otter yourself and you know, you see a lot of close-ups on the video, but this is actually quite a large area that they were searching
1: for this otter. It is very big here. And not only is it that there's a big pond here, but it's also sort of split into two sections. If you've never been to Dr. Sun Yet senator there's a public side, which anyone could come into for free. And then there's a private side where you pay to enter so there's sort of like a gate in between it so (laughs) it was a challenge you could tell for the people that were trying to catch the otter because of how this place is laid out it's it's difficult
0: well, and there's, it's one giant pool, but there are little bridges all over. There's tiny little islands. We're in the gazebo right now, but there are other little structures like it would be. There are so many places for that otter to hide. It could have literally
1: been anywhere. And I did see the otter myself. I know like some people care, uh, covering this story didn't actually cross paths with the, the beast, but um, <laughs> we did a story and we talked to uh, some of the people that work in the garden, and they said, oh, its favorite spot is over here by this little bridge. And I happened to be over on that side talking to someone and I just saw some ripple in the water out of the corner of my eye. I turned around. We made direct eye contact. (laughs) You made eye contact with the otter. We have confirmation the otter (laughs) was still around at that point anyways.
0: And you know... I guess the oddity of this story is, I think, what helped propel it into an international story. I mean, the Washington Post did an article about it. There have been so many think pieces about this otter and what it symbolizes in the city. But it's amazing to me how much international
1: attention it garnered. I think people love a good wildlife story. And I think when it's a wildlife story that involves sort of an... Urban setting, and like these wild, in the case of the otter, a wild creature that's completely. In the middle of the city, like I can't stress this enough, like it's a sanctuary in here, but you're surrounded by high rises. It's sort of Chinatown and the downtown east side all kind of mixed into one here. So I think that the setting of it is part of um, what made it so unusual. And speaking with Howard Norman um, from the Park Board, who did most of the media for this story, the first day, like right after this happened, his first media availability, he was like, I'm surprised people are so interested in this. And then I talked to him after the last press conference, after they said that the otter had left. And he said, like, oh, my gosh, I've done so much media over the past week and a half. Like, I'm, I'm glad this otter is gone for so many reasons, that being one of them. And
0: I think we've seen other stories. I mean, I'm thinking back to the bear that hitched a ride on a garbage truck a few years ago and ended up outside the Vancouver uh, Public Library. That was huge, and it was a tiny little bear, so those pictures went all over the place. Uh, there was a deer at Stanley Park a couple of years ago. I, I think it was tragically hit by a car and killed after it was kind of wandering through the park. I think it's partly because you're just so, that clash of something wild in that urban setting, it's
1: just so incongruous, you can't help but pay attention to it. Part of it too that it, one of the stories it reminded me of was the snakehead fish in Burnaby. The vicious who could snakehead forget fish, like <laughs> that thing was infamous. It really reminded me of that. I think partially um, because of the setting, but also like it was kind of interesting the juxtaposition of having like an animal that's native to here versus like these koi, which in this case are imported. And it seemed like to me that some people looked at the looked a lot at that sort of um, one versus the other. And there was, you have to admit, a humor to it. It was very
0: much a roadrunner versus coyote thing with a park board, just never quite able to keep up with this wily otter that just ended up, you know, he would, I mean, he was eating bait from the
1: traps that, I mean, to talk about adding insult to injury. I mean, CTV got on this story. I think we were one of the first ones, if not the first ones to cover it and uh, coming here, the next day i i put up the hashtag you know otter watch 2018 and it was so interesting to see how that really really took off more than i had expected it to because it reminded me of panda watch from the movie anchorman it was just sort of it was sort of interesting that all eyes it seemed like all eyes in the city just turned to this garden and the battle that was happening here and i think
0: part of that interest was also based on the Resources that were dedicated to this, I mean the Vancouver Aquarium got involved. We had volunteers coming by offering to help uh, what tell us a little bit about that um, i guess the the atmosphere and the ambience here when everybody was kind of gathered and trying to strategize about how to save these beautiful fish, some of which
1: are were were uh, decades old. Like, what was that atmosphere like? It was really interesting on the first day. I don't really think they knew what they were up against at that point. It had sort of, that was when the first couple koi had been uh, eaten over the weekend, but they were, uh, the park board had closed the public side of the park and this field trip of like high school students had come here and they were all (laughs) staring through this like uh, iron gate trying to catch a glimpse and they'd kind of put up some like uh, boards in front of it so people couldn't see in because they didn't want people to be loud because that could spook the otter. It sort of felt like initially they didn't really quite know what they were in for. They were hoping it was going to last a day and then man it lasted well into another week and then the fact that they've essentially otter proofed this garden (laughs) is uh, to me it's You know, it's... It's funny, but it's just another layer to the story. And the fact
0: that it got in in the first place—I mean, this is not connected directly to a large body of water. I believe they—they they think it got through some storm sewers or something, uh, swimming up a pipe or something like
1: that. Unclear how it got here. I mean, that would be hard to track. But it, it is also interesting to think that um, you know we learn through this process that there's river otters that live not too far from here in False Creek, and also you know in Stanley Park where I've seen them around Lost Lagoon. But it's like a a fish out of water, right? Like this otter does not belong in the middle of a city necessarily. And
0: that's uh, some people are wondering why did we spend so much time covering the story, but at the same time, other people couldn't get enough of it. And it was almost every day there was some sort of update because now they were planning to evacuate the koi. But I didn't. I, I knew that they were um, somewhat delicate, but I didn't realize that you can't just lower the level of the water and kind of herd them into one side and just remove them. It turns out it's, it's quite a delicate, complex operation. So every day there was a new development that just kept the story going even more, and and the appetite was insatiable. I mean, mean, the the interest online alone, through
1: the clicks on the stories, told you exactly how interested people were in this story. It really shocked me when I came back here on the last uh, day when they announced that the otter hadn't been seen, to see how low the pond was because they'd partially drained it, and it looked like there was only about a foot of water you could see right down to the bottom, and just to think about all the effort, the, the manpower that went into... You know, getting this remedied and getting those, it was hundreds, hundreds of the smaller juvenile fish. When you saw how many there were, there were like almost 350 of them. And then just the sad, I think it was sad three adults that were remaining. And then you see them sort of swimming around in this much smaller tank at the aquarium. It kind of, kind of made you sad. Well,
0: because this was an uh, attraction in this garden, because koi are rare, and especially, I mean, they, one of them was 50 years old, one of the koi fish, which, ma- which makes it worth thousands of dollars, incredibly valuable. So it's not like these were ordinary fish. And I think that's uh, sometimes what the garden struggled to get across, is that they're, these fish were very special, and they were just so tied to the identity of this. Um, it's not just a
1: tourist attraction. It is a cultural landmark as well here in Chinatown. I'm really glad you mentioned that because during our coverage of it, you know, when it first started, it kind of seemed funny. But I I remember the first time I came here and I saw the size of those bigger koi and I um, talked to the woman from the garden about them. You know, they had names for them. They were so attached to them. And initially they were so worried. And then when I saw her, um, you know, in one of the final days, I asked her, you know, is Madonna still around and she just looked at me and she almost had a tear in her eye and she said no, you know, we lost her too. So I think while the public was laughing about it and it almost like the headline is so funny and you know on the surface is funny, it's like there is a deeper there was a deeper level to what was happening here and at the end of the day it was sad and you know we sit here today and you know we look in the water and there's no koi swimming around and they're not expecting to have them back here until spring. So this is an otter that had such an impact from the manpower that was here and also the longevity of its presence is going to be felt, you know, for a few more months. Oh, at the very least. And some
0: people, uh, there's a a local writer who's drawn a a parallel as well, just since we're kind of more on the more serious side of this. You know the decimation of the koi kind of comes at a time that Chinatown is at a crossroads, and I think for a lot of people who do have family and cultural ties here, the fact that this um, this koi population was was decimated and this, its future was uncertain—that's basically what's been happening to Chinatown. There's been so much development here. There's been so much change. I, I live not far from here, and over the years I've seen the hipster coffee shops come in and all sorts of—you know—there's a Starbucks in Chinatown that would have been unthinkable, you know, ten years ago, and just the changes that you see I think there's just some parallels and for some people it's just kind of hit them on kind of a a
1: cultural uh, family level almost. And I think one thing that they did mention, which was, um, you know, throughout this, and they were talking about that, but uh, the garden specifically said, like, the one silver lining we're basically finding in this is that it's bringing so much attention to the garden. And it is such a beautiful and completely unique space, but it has had the eyes of the world on it for the past couple weeks. And, um, you know, will that continue? I guess we'll see.
0: Well, it's because it's become internet famous now. And you can never tell what happens when a story gets so um, saturated in especially social media. Because one of the things that we saw happen in typical Vancouver fashion, not only were people obsessed with the story, but then they had to choose a side. And we got Team Koi and Team Otter and there were buttons sold. Uh, People started, you know, discussing and even arguing about which team they were on in the epic battle between Koi and Otter like.
1: Like, who would have thought that the, that's what would happen when the story really hit social media? And people were asking me if I was Team Otter and Team Koi. As a journalist, I am impartial, so I would have worn, you know, both buttons. But yeah, it definitely, social media, It things snowball. It goes from a smaller story to such a, a much bigger story with all these different, uh, you know, layers to it. I mean, the pun opportunities, Penny, I know you're not a pun fan. I really am not. The pun opportunities for, for people around town you know, people were being, uh, you know, creative and looking at it and seeing cartoons of, you know, Grand Theft Otter with the cover of Grand Theft Auto, just stuff like that. So, I mean, it was it was what, you're not going to hit me with any other puns here, <laughs> Sheila. Come on, come on. You, here's your opportunity. I'm playing coy, Penny. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I've got. You know, I tried to I tried to sort of find that line uh covering this story is between um you know being serious and respecting the people that were involved in this that did feel uh, so vested in these fish and in this garden as well as you know trying to have a little bit fun because it is sort of uh you know it's it's interesting and it gets people's attention when they when they hear about this story and this one otter if only it knew how much trouble it had caused and continues to. They've otter-proofed the garden. It's crazy to me. Yeah, there are these kind of weird boards because that usually
0: the uh, the gates here are kind of these metal slats, uh, just bars and now that there are boards kind of keeping, but who knows how tight of a space an otter can squeeze into, but I think that's another, um, you kind of touched on it, Sheila. So when stories like this come up, what I really enjoy about them is me as a person and not just me as a journalist, I want to know more about whatever it is that's being discussed. And I didn't know, for example, there's, different, there's the difference between a river otter and a sea otter. Sea otters are the furry ones that are really cute and hold hands, whereas river otters are kind of more sleek looking and even koi themselves. Just, I knew that they were long lived, but I didn't know they can be valued in tens of thousands of dollars and just how difficult they are to take care of. There's just, I don't know. It's one of those things that, yes, we laugh. Yes, there are serious implications, but then it's also just a, a cool learning opportunity to just kind of dive into a topic.
1: And how very Vancouver. I mean, I think that was another thing about this story that I think really resonated. People with with people in the city was it is that urban wildlife and we see so much of that in our daily lives, but I guess to see it sort of. Uh causing a bit of trouble was definitely a, a little bit more unique than just spotting river otters when you walk around, you know, Lost Lagoon. But the fact that this one got here, I think one of my favorite moments of covering this story was I was out with my photographer in the morning and a woman was walking her dog. It was a Dachshund. And my photographer was like, it's the otter. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're gonna have to have to tell me the name later I mean, of who that was. thought it was the otter. It was just, a, you know, you're kind of like looking around for it all the time. I saw a bird that I thought was the otter as well. So, you know, I'm curious whether it's going to end up coming back here because they don't know where it went. It could still be in the area, and it was a very uh, fruitful hunting ground for it, clearly. Um, One of the other interesting things um, through talking to the park board was they said they'd set those traps. They had, like, raw chicken with like this fish oil on it but then as it turns out a couple of days later they said oh well actually maybe the traps didn't work that well because river otters like to hunt their own food they like the thrill of the chase which i thought was so interesting with all this. I just learned a new thing right now. That's <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> with all these traps set around here and it, you know, it took the bait, didn't set the trap. Like these things are very, very smart. And clearly it was never caught here. It got away. It, uh, it outsmarted us. Well,
0: thank you so much for your time in covering this, Sheila. With, with a, I think, a respectful tone, but also with the lev- levity that I think it deserves because there were no... You know, children at risk or anything else but it was
1: still just a great topic and I just I love the tone of your coverage and you just did such a great job thank you and I mean I, I think if any of us can learn anything from this and it's something I've enjoyed it was I hadn't been to this park since 2007 and so often in Vancouver we're surrounded by towers and stuff but if you're in the area come check it out see if you can spot the otter it's a really it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place it
0: is a beautiful oasis and people should keep their phones at the ready because um, we did see some pictures on social media with the otter crossing the street here they would proof the garden they thought at that time and then
1: there's pictures of it just like with impunity just going back and forth on either side i'm a west ender i'm just saying i I hope to see a closer to a more natural habitat for in the west end crossing the street maybe into stanley park (laughs) thanks again sheila thanks penny I'd also like to
0: thank Janine Avellino for her help with archival audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daffos.